In the Ring with Eusebius Merkaiser. Eusebius Merkaiser. In the last podcast episode, I spoke to Pauli van Weyck, who is an excellent investigative journalist, one of the best in the country. And we examined the evidence against the EFF leadership, in particular Floyd Chavambu, and then the EFF as a political party, and whether or not they had benefited from the heist of VBS Mutual Bank. In short, is Floyd Chivambu corrupt? Is Brian Chivambu, his brother, corrupt? And has the EFF itself benefited from corruption knowingly at that? And if you listen back to that podcast, which I highly recommend, then you will hear the detailed forensic evidence against Floyd Chivambu. And I think it's really difficult to resist the conclusion that he is not innocent. And if you don't believe me, you can either Google or go on to Daily Maverick, VBS Mutual Bank Heist or Floyd Chivambu and Pauli van Weyck. And the most recent articles in the last couple of days will simply jump out at you. What Pauli and I did not do is full political analysis because that is my territory as a political analyst. And I wanted her in simple terms to explain the facts. And the facts are staggering. If you want to know, by the way, what's different now compared to, let's say, a year ago, because she has been writing about this story for a long time, the difference is, as she mentions in that episode, that you now have a state entity in the form of the South African Revenue Services that have entered the fray. And they are going after Brian Shavambu for 28.2 million rands in tax bills as a result of alleged tax evasion on his part. And in the process of building their case, they managed to access also, incredibly, FNB private wealth bank accounts of Floyd Shivambu's statements. And those statements are the basis on which the work that had been done thus far by Pauli van Weyck is corroborated and it will be particularly difficult to use personal attacks against her, which has been really the utterly irrational responses from many in relation to her journalism, when in fact we now also have the state in conducting forensic investigations and so advanced that they are already formally going after Brian Chivambu. What I want to do now is to ask, what does this mean politically? What does this tell us about the EFF? And what should we think about the EFF in relation to the other political parties? And I, I think my dominant sentiment, both as a voter but also as a political an- analyst, is that the evidence is so insurmountable that firstly, I allow myself to make a judgment call because I'm not an idiot in the same way in which I allow myself to make a judgment call about former health minister Zuelim Kize, who I think is guilty of being a conduit unlawfully for the benefit of his family and close associates when he was minister of health. Nothing stops me from asking whether the quality of the evidence 
implicates him even before a court of law pronounces on his guilt or innocence. It is ridiculous and unsustainable to suggest that I cannot put on a thinking cap as a citizen and that I must defer judgment to a court of law when the evidence is plain and overwhelming. And in the case of Dr. Zueli Mkize, quite frankly, the man took way too long to resign when you and I can plainly see that he is not innocent, despite him claiming that he is. He clearly abused his authority in a way that is politically and morally unacceptable. And now the jury will be out on whether there are also legal implications. In the same way in which I'm not willing to abandon my rational faculties in relation to Dr. Zuelim Kize, similarly, I'm not going to do so in relation to the mountain of evidence against Floyd Chivambu and the EFF. It is patently clear to anyone with even a two-digit IQ that these guys benefited from in a very deliberate way from VBS Mutual Bank and the looting that was happening in relation to that bank. They're not innocent, far from it, and they probably never banked, pardon the pun, or maybe the pun is useful, on the fact that banking statements are digital footprints that are permanent, and it's a matter of time before those footprints are unearthed, observed, and matched with your shoes, matched with your feet, and then you can no longer claim to be innocent. And that is what happened in this particular case. And so I reached the conclusion as a voter and as a citizen, and even as a political analyst, that the evidence is irresistible that the top leadership of the EFF, I'm afraid, are corrupt. The second point I want to make as an analyst is that it is tragic that this has come to light. Or let me reframe that. It's good that it's come to light. That's not the tragedy. It is tragic that these are the facts about the EFF leadership. And the reason it's tragic is because the ANC is now endemically corrupt and we need an alternative to a corrupt incumbent government. The ANC is morally bankrupt. It is a spent force in governance terms. It is not delivering economic growth, let alone high levels of economic growth, 5% and above, let alone economic growth that is accompanied by job creation. And they're not dealing with the fact that we've got millions of South Africans going hungry and living in extreme poverty and below the breadline. They're not dealing with wealth inequality, educational inequality, income inequality, asset inequality. They don't have a grand plan for how to resuscitate the economy. And they are chasing their tails in governance terms. They can't even get us jabbed as quickly as possible, let alone dealing with the economy. But more importantly, to my point that I want to make in relation to EFF, corruption and the ANC are bedfellows. And in that context, voters deserve alternative parties, 
on the ballot paper that have better odds of delivering clean governance quite apart from effective governance. The EFF has proven to us beyond reasonable doubt that its leadership is no different to the ANC when it comes to corruption. And that is the tragedy. Because the South African voter is left with a dilemma and that voter's dilemma, one that I'd written about years ago in relation to the DA with my second book, where it posed the question in the title of that book, Could I Vote DA a Voter's Dilemma? Sadly, that dilemma is now true of all three political parties, and it has been for way too many years. I started doing this work as a journalist, as an analyst in my early 30s. Some 10 years later, the fundamentals about South African politics have not changed. I don't feel that I lack creativity in relation to how I see our politics. I think our political landscape has just been stuck with the same kind of political culture, political leadership problems, which is why the names of the popular commentators of the day change. But what they say sound the same as what commentators said yesteryear because the fundamentals have not changed in relation to the main political parties. You've got a DA, the Democratic Alliance, as the official opposition, utterly lackluster. Their main leadership, they've got different factions. The ones that are the most progressive, the most historically sensitive, the most committed to racial justice, are not in charge of the party. The folks who are in charge of the party are recalcitrant, ahistorical, colorblind in the bad sense of being colorblind, fool themselves into thinking that their party is a meritocracy and are deeply committed to market fundamentalism without any appreciation that markets are moral, morally blind and justice insensitive and at best they are, and even this they don't do all the time. At best, the markets are or aspire to be efficient allocative mechanisms, but they don't care for questions of justice, and they certainly don't care for questions of racial justice. That is not a party that millions of South Africans who are black in particular can sign up for. And then you've got the EFF that dons itself in the language, in the nomenclature of socialism, Marxism in particular, and yet they say one thing, but the evidence that SARS has uncovered, even if you don't like Pauli, what do you say about SARS as a state institution? The evidence is very clear that these oaks say one thing, but don't practice it in their personal behavior. Can you imagine a government in which Floyd Shivambu is the deputy president of the country. How different would he be to Didi Mabuza? Can you imagine Floyd in the economic cluster, addicted to having money funneled into a private wealth bank account? Can you imagine him 
being in charge of trade and industry, being addicted to being a beneficiary of looting. And similarly, the party itself, screaming from the rooftops, both in parliament and outside parliament, that they are as innocent as a newborn baby, not even disclosing to parliament sources of income other than their income as MPs, you can't trust people who behave like that. The trust deficit that has been opened up between what EFF have said, entering the political space as a young party, young people at the time, they were all under 40 when they started, deeply committed to showing up the old, jaded people in the ANC, and yet they've turned out to be, as their worst critics have often said, and I often defended them partially against some of the criticism, as disgruntled ANC Youth League types that are really just ANC 2.0 in a bad way. And for me, that is the most important observation to make, that there's a tragedy here that the voter doesn't have a credible alternative to the ANC and that there's a absolute discombobulated gap between what they say and what they do. And it brings me to the third thing that I want to say. Be careful of politicians that abuse pro-poor rhetoric but are anti-poor in their behavior. That is the other lesson of the case against Floyd Chivambu on corruption. Wearing overalls doesn't mean that you actually care about gardeners. Wearing domestic workers' uniform doesn't mean that you care about domestic workers. Because if you did, you would think through the consequences of corruption. Corruption is not victim-free. When you steal from a mutual bank, you are stealing from the gardener, you are stealing from the domestic worker that you pretend to represent in Parliament. Sis, the hypocrisy is repugnant. There's no political morality that guides the politics of the EFF leadership when they are stealing from the very people that they regard as the base of their constituency. I mean, it's ridiculous. And beyond being ridiculous and tragic, it is also disgusting. And these are adjectives that I use as part of my analysis because that political moral judgment of the EFF I think is important to make, both as a citizen and as an analyst, because that is what the facts demand of us in terms of creating meaning out of those facts and trying to understand what does it all mean for how we should see and analyze the EFF. So the next time you see these complicated words that you need to look up as an average Joe, hyphenated words like Marxist, Leninist, Fanon, it rolls off the tongue of the master's graduates and the PhD graduate in the leadership of the EFF. But just because you can say Fanon does not mean that you are genuinely committed to the collapse of capitalism 
and to a socialist economy. Just because you can say Marxism does not mean that you are deeply committed to social security for the poor because social security for the poor require you to not collapse a mutual bank and it requires you to understand that corruption is not victimless and therefore to not be corrupt yourself. And that is not the EFF leadership. They say one thing, socialist mumbo-jumbo in their rhetoric. They critique capitalism. They go for the easiest target, white people who are wealthy. And then they weaponize our collective memory of white people unfairly having the lion's share of wealth and assets in the country as we enter democracy and we've got political freedom but not economic freedom. All of that is true structurally, but what the EFF does is it takes accurate facts about society in relation to the structure of our economy. It weaponizes those to whip up our feelings of living in a neo-colonial South Africa where economic injustice continues to reign supreme and when ANC government has not managed to ensure that every person lives a proverbial better life. And on that basis, it appeals to you to vote for them. And many of us ended up voting for them. And many of us thought this is a thorn in the side of the ANC. Even if they never become government, they'll be an excellent party in terms of oversight function in parliament and outside of Parliament, with the clever usage of lawfare. And then some of you who voted EFF, beyond that, genuinely also didn't mind imagining them in government. So some people voted for them, knowing they wouldn't be in government, but thinking they'd be effective opposition. And some people genuinely wanted to endorse their mandate of what they might do, were they to become the government of the day. Your votes weren't wasted, in the sense that You took a chance on an alternative to the ANC. But the problem is that with every year that passes, we now have real data with which to assess the EFF. And the best we can say about them is that, and here I depart from some political analysts, they have done quite well, as Pauli van Weyck herself acknowledges, to help, for example, to build up jurisprudence in relation to Parliament doing its job properly in holding the executive to account. And the case law that EFF has been involved in is fantastic. They've made Parliament come alive for people who are conservative, not in a bad way conservative, but in the sense of enjoying the rituals and the culture of an institution not changing, the energy of EFF has been something that those folks have not enjoyed. I have enjoyed it. We've never had so many people tune into Parliament, and that's a good thing. It increases participatory democracy, and it also takes the deliberative element of our democratic model seriously. And I would give them enormous credit for that. I think I think from in terms of their praxis, they've been very useful to the democratic project in that regard as well. 
and they were an incredibly important thorn in the side of Jacob Zuma. Never mind the fact that in their early history, when many of them were in the ANC, they propped him up. That's a discussion for another day. But specifically, in holding him accountable, they, they were useful. But the problem is that what we have now seen in the story of the tens of thousands of rands, possibly possibly millions, possibly, you have the same behavior that we see with some ANC politicians, where they speak on a public platform with a sense of political virtue. Trust me, I'm a safe pair of hands. I look good in a suit. I speak in dulcet tones. Zuelim Kize wasn't very charismatic, but he was something of a media darling because he just he doesn't look corrupt. He doesn't sound corrupt. He's a real doctor who knows what he's doing. I could imagine him being president. And that's why I think it was so hard for people to make a plain judgment about how overwhelming the evidence is against him. I mean, the, the public took a long time, and I think there's still parts of the public that can't get themselves to plainly say, I'm not going to wait for the court to take a decision here, or for his taking on review the SIU report and let the process play out. I'm not dumb. Here is what the journalism has found. Journalism is not stupidity. I can have a look at the content of the journalism and then make a judgment call about whether it's cogent or not. And here, it is very clear that Dr. Zuelim Kize is not innocent. Far from it. He abused his authority. I make that judgment call. And I think people struggle when someone is likable to do that. You've got to be dispassionate. Render politicians ordinary. I've said that for many years and I still think it's important. Politicians love it when you and I render them special. Render them extraordinary. The best thing you can do for yourself to improve our democracy is to think of politicians as merely human, as utterly uninteresting, as just being fellow employees within the economy and within the labor market. Don't treat them as special. Once you do that, you will learn to assess them honestly rather than revering them because they are a cabinet minister, an MP, the leader of the EFF, Floyd Chivambu. Oh my God, there's Floyd Chivambu walking through Santon on his way to Gucci, obviously. Don't do that. Look at the evidence dispassionately. And when you do that, you will realize that Floyd Chivambu, as much as he claims to be innocent and says so in parliament, is probably guilty of misleading parliament as well. And the numbers we are talking about here that Paulie van Veek explained in the previous podcast means that the same consequences need to follow as happened with Tony Yengeni, as happened with, with Shabir Sheikh, and as is happening with former President Jacob Zuma. Yes, I'm bluntly saying the leadership of the EFF, Floyd in particular, is in the same WhatsApp group as the criminal elements within the ANC. And it's a political tragedy for you and me because it reduces our options of who to vote for. <laughs> <laughs>